but I knew there was just something a little bit off. And so kind of growing up and getting into my teenage years, I, I guess I first came out as gay, as a lesbian. And then just something just wasn't quite clicking. Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, I chat with Maddie, who is another transracial Chinese adoptee, but they are transgender as well. And I thought that that would be a great way to add more diversity to my interview guests this season. So I was really, really happy and excited to talk to Maddie for the interview, which you will hear in just a moment. If I remember correctly, Maddie reached out reached out to me on Instagram to let me know that they were there if I wanted to have a trans perspective on the show, which of course I did, so I took them up on that. Now, in our conversation, as usual, we touch on a lot of stuff. Some of that is about community acceptance and what it's like to integrate when you move to a new place that has a different culture or a different societal norms than the place you came from. We talk about birth parents and just feelings about birth parents, how sometimes being an adoptee can be burdensome and heavy because you're carrying things like being a disappointment or feeling guilty inside you for so long. We talk about feeling disconnected at times from the Asian community or whatever community you are racially technically a part of and how to deal with that and how it can be a struggle sometimes. We also talk about absorbing microaggressions for comic relief, kind of, you know, like if you ever had in school, oh, you're not good at math, and your response, if you're an Asian adoptee, your response was, yeah, I guess I'm a bad Asian or something like that, and how absorbing those microaggressions in that way can be detrimental to one's self-growth. We also talk about the concept of specifically white people, but I guess it could be anybody, getting tattoos in a language that that individual does not speak. Uh, Maddie shares a funny story about that and we talk about, you know, cultural appropriating and why people might feel compelled to do that. We also touch on the idea of normalization versus celebration, which I know if you've been listening for a little while is not the first time you've heard me talk about that. So we get to a lot of good juicy stuff in this episode and I don't want to keep going on any longer. So let's get right into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show this week. 
I am talking with Maddie, who is in New Orleans right now. Hi, Maddie. Thanks so much for being here and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Liza. It's great being on here. Awesome to have you. Um, Now, I like to start by asking all of my interviewees, uh, you know, why are you here? Why did you want to come on the show? And connected to that, why is talking about adoption important to you? Um, well, I, I stumbled upon your podcast and I guess straightforward, like, um, it's definitely really needed and I'm really happy to have found this podcast and thank you so much for, um, starting all this and having these conversations. Um, but I, I think I wanted to jump on here because there's so many different stories. Uh, there's, it's definitely not a monolith, um, in terms of experiences and, I think um, kind of for me, the intersectionality of a few different identities I have um, in relation to the adoption community, I mm-hmm. think was something I wanted to kind of bring to light because um, it definitely is not just one single uh, story and kind of the interplay of, of those identities, I think is important to talk about because when I was growing up, it didn't even occur to me how they interacted with one another until I got older. Definitely. I love that. Let's get right into it. Do you, can you um, describe for the, you know, the listeners sort of what different layers of identity you're talking about and maybe however it makes sense to you chronologically or what have you kind of what your upbringing was like and how those identities play into all of that, into who you are now? Um, so I, um, I'm a Chinese adoptee, so I was um, adopted from uh, Nanjing, China, uh, when I was about 11 months, almost a year old, when my parents uh, flew to China and got me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, growing up, I, I definitely knew, apart from, and my parents are both uh, white as well, so um, I definitely knew that different was very much like an adjective to explain like my upbringing and then as I grew up I definitely I was um, assigned a female at birth um, and I definitely was a lot more of what you would say like a tomboy growing up Mm. Um, and my parents I was very fortunate with my family they were super chill with it um, for the most part and uh, so I was able to present more like where like boys clothes, et cetera, mm-hmm. or masculine clothes, so to speak. And, um, but I knew there was just something a little bit off. And so kind of growing up and getting into my teenage years, I, I, I guess I first came out as, um, gay as a lesbian mm. and then uh, that was like fine. And then just something just wasn't quite clicking, mm-hmm. um, right for me. I was like, there's something else that doesn't feel quite at ease or connected with my, with myself, my, my body and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so like when I was in, when I was, how old was I? Like 24, 25, 24, 25 Mm -hmm. is when I kind of took the steps to try to explore my gender identity Mm -hmm. and kind of went through that process. And I just took it step by step and just was really trying to be focus and mindful of like what felt right and what felt like something I felt more connected to and stuff and so um then I I came out as trans I 
identify more so just being like transmasculine, mm -hmm. um, not necessarily like specifically a trans man, I guess. Um, I kind of just am comfortable being myself. I veer toward more masculine qualities, aspects and stuff, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so through that process and then having that kind of interplay with my adoptee um, identity has kind of been a newer thing I've been mm -hmm. exploring, I guess, within myself and with like my therapist and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, just because I didn't realize how interconnected they could be, but a lot of some anxiety and worries with certain things in relation to the two I was kind of surprised me, I guess. And mm -hmm. so I've had the opportunity to chat with a lot more, a, a couple more um, other uh, transracial, transgender adoptees. Mm -hmm. And it's been very interesting and, and very cool to be able to talk about them, uh, talk about with with them, and yeah. especially just within the queer community and kind of bringing in that intersectionality as an experience, yeah. and how that kind of play, interplays with one another. That's really interesting. I, I was going to ask if you know other trans adoptees, um, and it's it's awesome to hear that you do. You know that I'm. I can imagine that support system is really important. Do you do you have you at times? You know, I'm unfamiliar with the, that community. So, do you feel fully accepted? by the trans community in the sense that does your does your adoption sort of create you know some sort of barrier between you being able to feel like you're fully part of I guess either community the adopt the adoptee community or the trans community um and I ask that because a lot of people I've talked to, a lot of adoptees I've talked to, um, a common theme is, you know, this sort of in-between feeling where you don't feel completely, whether it's Chinese or Japanese, or then you don't feel completely white if you're in a transracial family. Um, and so I'm just wondering if, if, if you've experienced that with either community. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, definitely the in-between feeling is, is definitely a feeling I'm used to. I mm -hmm. always would call it like this flex limbo, like gray area. And that's just kind of like my comfort zone at this point, kind of mm -hmm. feeling a part fully into something. It feels a, a little bit more abnormal, should I say, which is kind of funny. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I guess within the trans community, um, I necessarily haven't in particular. I think sometimes it's just such a broad community because you, you only you not only have like the trans community, gender non gender non conforming, mm -hmm. um, non binary community. It just leaves a lot of room for like not singling out people into certain yeah. boxes. Not to say like the trans community, you know, every community's got um, different nuances within it that definitely every community is working on to improving and to make it a lot more welcoming and stuff. But mm -hmm. um. Uh, the adoptee community, um, I guess, have been involved with to degrees a lot more so when I was a kid. My parents and my sister actually, actually is adopted as well from mm. the same city. Um, wow. She's about a year and a half younger than me. But uh, okay. we would go to a lot of I would call it like adoptee playdates and mm. Asian camp. I um, joke about which was the uh, Chinese cultural heritage 
camp and whatnot. And so uh, when I think of, especially for Chinese adoptees being so heavily related to gender in mm-hmm. terms of uh, female little girls getting yeah. adopted and stuff, yeah, can, would leave me to feel not necessarily not accepted, but just not as um, in tune with it. Cause that's usually the image that yeah. I'm used to seeing and was told growing yeah. up and everything yeah. that that was the whole reason why I was the whole reason I was in an orphanage. It was right. because of my gender and stuff. Yep. And mm-hmm. um, so I think in that realm, um, it definitely leaves a little bit more of a gap in terms of feeling connected. But I think just on a personal level with me as a person, I've never fully felt fully seated within a community where I'm like, this is like it. This is like, I feel like totally in line vibing mm-hmm. with these people kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Not to say that I feel there's moments where I feel like, yeah, like I feel like part of a community, whether it be the trans community, the queer community, et cetera. Yeah. But um, it, it's always, I always, I think I'm just more comfortable and like feeling more in that uh, middle space, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad you brought up the uh, topic of, of, you know, not just adoptee gender, but, you know, traditional, like, like traditional in air quotes, you know, gender in China. If you're an adoptee, you're you pretty much, you know, female, you know, like they didn't, yeah. they didn't give up males. And going off of that, do you feel, how do you feel about, you know, as you just said, your birth parents, for whatever reason, didn't keep you because of your gender at birth? And how does that make you feel now having separated from that gender, you know, having, Mm -hmm. you know, completely changed your identity in terms of your gender? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely have. And I guess for me, it's just more like, um, for me, for my identity, like while I've changed pronouns, I've gone through different, uh, gender affirmation steps that yeah. feel more comfortable for me. Um, for me, I feel like I, and while I don't go by female pronouns, I don't. And from my personal experience, I don't necessarily separate myself from that. Like, I'm very mm. grateful that mm-hmm. I grew up the way that I, I did. And while mm-hmm. it may have been a struggle in terms of identity and whatnot, I definitely feel like it's certainly a part of of me and I'm not mm-hmm. separate from it. Granted, like, this is just my single experience. Different mm-hmm. trans people in the community have whole different experiences of how they they feel. But I, I like to think of it as like a, a a connected like shared experience Mm -hmm. that is just ever changing and growing we're all like changing and stuff and so Mm -hmm. in relation to like birth parents I think most of my um fears wrapped in with that was more like oh not like jokes on you like y'all were kind of a little off the mark there it's Mm kind of more so I think um well let me step back and it's hard to say, like, we're told growing up that that rhetoric and that story that you're given when you're a kid. Like, I even had, like, a little book mm. my parents gave me that was, like, little cartoon drawings that talked about mm-hmm. why you were giving up and stuff. Definitely. Same. And, <laughs> and uh, who's to say, I guess, that that's the reason while it was a social pressure to give up girls versus mm-hmm boys because Mm -hmm. of the cultural structure and the social structure who knows and even then like it's more so I think 
the deeper, I guess, fear or worry that I have with that is in relation to thinking about um, if I'd ever be interested in like finding or meeting my birth parents, I think yeah. it'd be more so um, the worry of like disappointment because mm. while like they may favor males, so to speak, uh, like cis, it'd be more in line with cis males. Yeah. Not necessarily like a trans masculine person. I, right. And not to say like, I'm b- basing my ideas of what culturally is accepted within China. Right. Already of China based off like <laughs> an idea that I have of it in terms of it being less open to uh, queer identities and gender identities and stuff. But I feel like it's not necessarily a benefit on my part mm. to them, to mm-hmm. them in their eyes. That that would be my, I guess, feeling mm-hmm. about it, that it wouldn't be like, oh, well, we're so happy that you're trans. Right. It'd be like, oh <laughs> yeah I like, see what you're saying not okay and like kind of and that's kind of I guess how I describe if I ever because I I have like a mild interest in like um knowing my birth parents I guess yeah it's not like a strong like I'm gonna go out and kind of try to try to put some pieces that are very difficult to even find in the first place together but yeah. I always imagine in my head it'd be like um in the cop shows or whatever <laughs> you have the two-way glass and you can yeah. see them on the other side but they mm-hmm. can't see you mm-hmm. um due to just like and I, I know part of it is like insecurities on my part in terms of fears regarding like oh well you know i'm trans and queer um i have tattoos and mm-hmm. and, and whatnot all over me and and stuff so and i i don't like have like uh, i'm not in a career mm. where it's like this prestigious like kind of thing again this is all based off stereotypes and I preconceive ideas of what I think an Asian family would prefer yeah um out of their kids but um so it's more of a worry of like oh like if they did give me up for the purpose of like a better life Mm -hmm. them to come back and be like this is what you did (laughs) <laughs> with you mm-hmm. this opportunity not mm-hmm. that it is a healthy nor good way to go about it but kind of that's more so uh I Got guess it. what comes to mind with that yeah wow that's really powerful I'm I'm glad you shared that I obviously I don't know all the listeners but I feel like that was you know really if if there's somebody else out there who is you know, going through following in your footsteps in some way or another, I feel like that's really good to hear that, that, you know, that's, that's a reasonable concern. My next question was definitely going to be, how do you feel about finding your birth parents and stuff? So that's really interesting to know. How do you feel as an Asian American male today, you know, like in America, especially in COVID, you know, like with the violence against Asian Americans that's been going on in the news a lot recently. Um, and, you know, all of 2020 with Trump saying it was the China virus and all of that. How has that been for you? And and how do you experience um, being an Asian American adoptee trans male? Yeah, it's been very interesting. I like, um, I guess, specifically, like, an Asian American male that identifier, like, as you say it, almost just doesn't, I don't know, click with me. I don't doesn't resonate. Yeah, no, yeah, it doesn't quite resonate with me. I think um, 
apart from like my trans identity, um, kind of rapping with it. And um, I guess being like kind of upfront, like more recently, like for me figuring out, not figuring out, but like going through this uh, exploration of my identity and stuff, like yeah. while I identify as more trans masculine, like the title, the identity of just straight up, just like male just sounds so rigid to me. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so like, that's why pronoun wise, uh, um, I go with, I, the pronouns I like to use are he or they just because, right. um, I'm not so set on like having to be like this or that in terms of my identity. I'm just kind of like myself and I feel more yeah. comfortable in, in that sphere. So I feel like it's, it's very interesting because while I'm perceived and seen as like an Asian male, cause, um, yeah, that's just kind of how people perceive me. It just that connect disconnect from that group, I guess, is there. And it, yeah, it's very interesting because it's more. Yeah, it's a very odd feeling, but it's not completely different than like the adoptee experience with yeah. white. Like when you're in a space with other Asian right. people or other Chinese people, but they were born within their um, Asian families. Right. and then you're like, well, everyone sees me as this, but <laughs> I don't right. feel like I'm a part of, like, right. I don't have the right. sh- same experience. Yeah. I don't feel like fully. Yeah. I feel like I'm wearing like a big marshmallow suit, even though mm-hmm. visibly mm-hmm. I, I'm not. And mm-hmm. it kind of looks, looks like a standout and whatnot. So. Got it. But, well, my apologies if that, uh, on the, no, no. on the, <laughs> No, I know it's kind of like you. a little bit. No, it is all good. Not a bit. I know it's a little bit of, especially navigating it when you're not in the communities. It's a whole other thing. I'm still learning a bunch within the community too. So, but um, I think with the stuff that's been going on uh, in America with mm-hmm. Trump and the China virus and stuff, yeah, it's been super in- interesting because while I feel like, oh yeah, this stuff happens, I've noticed little things here and there. Mm-hmm it's still that weird feeling of feeling disconnected. And, and, yeah. and I think a lot of it is growing up with white parents and, yeah. and whatnot. Cause while you aren't white, just like, it's like white adjacent in yep. terms of identity wise. And so it's can be very conflicting. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, no, this stuff happens to me, mm-hmm. but it, it's, a, it's a, and I don't know if you have had the same experience where it's just kind of like, yeah, I know this stuff is really like terrible and it's happening and stuff. And sometimes like I get repercussions of it, but it almost feels like there's this gap, I guess, Mm. this disconnect with it as well Mm -hmm. at the same time, which is kind of confusing. Yeah, actually it is so like on point that you're mentioning that because I 100% agree with you. And I have been saying like to, you know, people that I see in my own life, like, when the Atlanta shootings happened, I mean, you know, goes without saying I was sad and that's terrible. And those are very reductive statements, but it didn't feel like I was being attacked, you know, like there was that distance there that you keep mentioning and it didn't feel, you know, as, as, as personal as me, as some people 
may have thought it to be for me because I have an Asian face and, you know, I'm from China or I was adopted from China and all that. Like it, I did not experience that. And I totally had like, I mean, I think I literally said to one of my friends who, you know, was checking in on me. I can't imagine what the, like what the Asian community is feeling. Um, But then it was like, this is why it's weird that you mentioned that yesterday I was helping out my friend and we were at this person's house and the per like they had a Trump flag outside their house and they had like a framed picture of, of the front cover of like the, the local newspaper when he won the presidency, like four years ago, framed on their wall and, you know, when I, I was like, oh, I don't know if they're going to, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, I feel fine, but I don't know if they're going to be fine with me. And anyway, long story short, I was there and everything was basically uneventful and just what you'd expect until the very end when the father of the the owner of the house um, in passing, like mentioned the China virus, but mm. he actually was saying it for real. And on the drive home, I was thinking like, man, you know, may, this is like an interesting situation for me to be in because before tonight, if the Atlanta, you know, the Atlanta shootings happened and I didn't feel personally attacked or personally in danger. And now after tonight, you know, God forbid, if there's another, you know, Atlanta shooting where more Asians are killed, is my, is this experience tonight now going to make that feel more personal if it does Mm -hmm. happen? Because that was, I mean, to be quite honest, that was, the listeners will know as well. I've been saying in every episode, I feel like I experience an abnormally small amount of racism like direct Mm -hmm. racism. And uh, that night was, I think, the first time ever where I was somewhere that, and I felt like I shouldn't be there. I wasn't wanted there solely based on the way I looked. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that uh, element of distance that you were saying, you know, how you feel that way, that distance between male and female gender pronouns and also, but then also as an adoptee in terms of being trans or transracial adoptee. Um, I think it's really, really fascinating because I thought it was something that was fixed, but I feel like for me, it's kind of shifted since that night. Yeah. And I don't know, have, have you experienced, uh, uh, things like that. Like, what was your reaction to the Atlanta shootings? Did you also feel like it, it wasn't really personal or did you f- feel like it was personal for you? Yeah, I think I had a very similar experience as yeah. you. Sorry that you were put in that situation. Thank <laughs> you. Kind of a yeah. comfortable place to be, especially when you know outright, like the general feeling of, of that stuff um, by just it being plastered all over the walls. And stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, that, uh, so yeah. I had a very similar experience. Like I, I saw that it happened. I heard it happened. Um, I had a friend at, at work. He was like, how, how are you doing mm-hmm. with 
the Atlanta shootings, and I was like, oh, yeah. Not that, oh, like, I forgot about it. Oh, like, it didn't happen. It was like, oh, yeah, that I share the same identity and, and, and whatnot. It's just, and then right after, immediately after, you know, and you're like, oh, geez, like, I feel like an, an asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, insensitive. It's like, as if it's no big deal or whatever, you feel a little guilty. And um, mm-hmm. I had a couple people check in and, and ask me mm-hmm. and whatnot. And it was like, same thing you felt I felt that same distance like yeah. it wasn't personal yeah and it, and not to say that it wasn't necessarily that it could have I think it was a mixture of things it was r- the racial aspect in terms of being an adoptee um coming from white family and then also the fact that I didn't know anyone yeah in 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 who went through that and yeah is going through that currently and um didn't know anyone in Georgia or anything like um, I, I messaged my sister and I checked in on her to make sure how she was feeling because mm-hmm. um, you know not to say like she works in kind of she's a hair she's a manager and a hair salon stylist mm-hmm. and stuff so um, and she's gone through the pandemic she's experienced some different things with people in terms mm-hmm. of uh, not wearing masks when she's mm. trying when they want a haircut and mm-hmm. kind of giving her grief about that and like and whatnot and so um yeah very similar experience where it's like it's terrible and it's just really shitty how the whole thing panned out and how it was handled and just I think a lot of times what people uh don't realize just because things that come up in the media is quick they they talk about it for a week or a couple mm-hmm. of days and it's gone and what people forget is that that's not how people who go through that experience that have loved ones experience that mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. not how it works for them it's something that is a continuation that stays with them their whole life and it's just mm-hmm. a process and a struggle mm-hmm. and a lot of ups and downs etc and so um yeah it's it's weird you, you feel disconnected but you feel like oh yeah and I don't know for you, um, being an Asian woman, how mm-hmm. that interplays where people are like, oh, my gosh, are you worried for your safety and et cetera? Mm-hmm. Like um, my, my parents texted me and my parents are very sweet and they were just checking in. But the way they burbed it was very kind of <laughs> odd and, <laughs> and comical in a way. They're just like, I think one of my parents, they, uh, my mom or my dad or something was like, do you feel safe in New Orleans? <laughs> and another one was like, have you experienced Asian hate? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> like, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I share kind of a similar experience with you uh, with, um, I haven't been fortunately gotten in any like racism that was physically violent right violent aggressive yeah per se definitely. um it's all been like microaggressions and things mm-hmm. as growing up you hear and then you, you go oh well they're just being ridiculous yeah and stuff is like oh yeah and then you talk with i talk with my sister or um another asian adoptee and then we laugh about the ridiculous uh, shit people say and and whatnot but then at the same time i also have realized that um I would use that stuff to like beat people to the punch, you know? Yeah. And where you kind of, and it's almost like self-degrading, but for comic relief and, yep. and whatnot. 
Yeah, to like diffuse so, the situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And while it might be a microaggression in that regard, it's I guess is a perspective thing and like violent towards yourself because you're internalizing that and then using it to perpetuate definitely um, yeah. those those feelings just yeah. for the sake of like kind of dismissing it and like diffusing and just like yeah mm-hmm. keeping mm-hmm. to that whole like oh yeah you know like yeah in regards to I remember yeah always stuff about like school academics like oh well I'm not really great at math oh <laughs> well you should be like yeah kind of things like well yeah Definitely. I'm like not one of those Asians I'm a bad Asian or yeah kind of yeah exactly like that. and that's like oh that's really shit it is say about yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so it's a very interesting kind of play with that but I remember um I had to travel during the beginning of COVID for mm-hmm. my work unfortunately um we were finishing up a museum building the exhibit and uh I remember I was getting in a cab for one of my trips back here and the person and who was driving me it was not a cab i don't know who rarely people take cabs anymore it was a lift or uber <laughs> uh, no <problem>. but, <laughs> uh, the person was like oh yeah so this you know coronavirus is like like seems like a really big deal huh i was like yeah and i could see he was leading towards something mm. and i was like all right let's let's see how he goes about this one that's always the game it's like mm-hmm. how are they gonna phrase it to not sound blatant about it exactly um, and he's he's like so like how 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 are things going like how do you think things are going like basically was asking me to speak to china like how is china doing with this <laughs> virus like how is the impact and i was like well i'm from new orleans i'm from colorado i'm from new orleans so it seems like it's not going well like <laughs> <laughs> I mm-hmm. watch the news just like you and, and whatnot. And so it was very interesting. So it's, it's like one of those things where it's just like a very blanket, like you yeah. just, and I feel like a, with a lot of identities, so like there's such a, a blanketing aspect where it's mm-hmm. just like you, oh, I, you're this identity. So mm-hmm. you're going to speak for everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to base my opinions on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, no. Yeah, totally. Well, um, that's interesting. I, because you said you are living in New Orleans, um, I was gonna. I'm curious. Like, some some people that I've talked to have said, yeah, you know, unfortunately, racism is worse in the South than it is in the North. Um, I've never lived in the South, uh, and. But then you said that you have, you know, ex- you haven't experienced any like physical altercations regarding like, you know, in relation to race or anything. But do you have you noticed like a, a an increase in even microaggressions and, you know, little kinds of racist things like that between there and Colorado at all? Um, or even um, and, you know, not that they should be lumped together, but. How, how does New Orleans also treat people in the trans community? Is it compared to Colorado? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's very interesting because you would think, you know, Colorado is kind of in the same similar realm as like California and, mm-hmm. and stuff like progressive people, right? But I think the important thing there is that Colorado predominantly is going to be a lot more white. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
New Orleans is kind of a special pocket because it's got a lot of diversity in it. And it's mm. like the more it's like Austin is Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It's a lot more uh, open minded, liberal, et cetera. And Fort and like the resources I found for me as a trans person here are were easy. And granted, I can't compare it because I started um, my journey through this transition process I've been going through so far in mm-hmm. my life. Um, in New Orleans specifically, but I don't recall being f- these resources back in Colorado. Mm-hmm. I've been living in New Orleans for about four and a half years. Um, so I feel like community wise, and that's kind of why I've really enjoyed living here and mm-hmm. very uh, grateful to have be able to live here as a transplant, um, so to speak, um, in the city, because there's so many different communities. And mm-hmm. I feel like the different communities like to look out for one another to a degree and so like we've got queer communities and trans communities and uh communities uh black community and etc and just different pockets mm-hmm. of people that um and there's a strong i think uh vietnamese community um mm. i've noticed here as well and mm-hmm. uh it's something different that i'm not used to in colorado so the microaggressions while i i wouldn't say there's an increase um i would say they're pretty similar in the way that they are maybe are a little bit different um but like i st- i mean i still get stuff here like like just the other week i was a person that i was working with um that is not someone that's a regular employee that came in for a quick minute and i remember they they started out it was that game of like how do i want to phrase this mm-hmm. oh shit like i'm not phrasing this right so let me change it mid-sentence so it's like <laughs> Hey, like, and I told him I was from Colorado. So he already knew I was from mm-hmm. Colorado, but he's like, you speak, uh, I mean, you're, you're from, uh, I'm like, what, what ethnicity are you? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I was like, oh geez, you struggled through that one. Yeah. This is this white guy. And, um, I was like, well, I'm Chinese. And he's like, oh, and he showed me his wrist. And he's like, please tell me this says brother. And so he, he got Mandarin. He has like, a tattoo? Yes, he has oh, a tattoo God. on his wrist. And he <laughs> was trying to get me to confirm oh, God. that oh. it said the thing that he wanted. Uh, it's just like one of those things where like white people getting tattoos and yeah, languages so that they don't speak. So funny to me. Yeah. And I was like, you don't know what this says? And he said, well, it was in a book. And he, the guy said it said brother. Me and my brother got it. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't sp- speak Mandarin. Uh, I took it in high school. I didn't tell him that, but uh-huh. <laughs> I don't recall enough of it. But I was like, yeah, I don't know. And I went home and I looked it up and I was like, it is a terrible part of me. That was like, please tell me that it's completely wrong. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. But uh, I was just like the way you stumble through that. So yeah, various, various things, but like those, again, are small microaggressions and while they're just like ridiculous and I don't find them extremely hurtful. It's just like, okay, that's all right. You're just being <laughs> just absurd and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, um, so little things like that in Colorado, we get the same thing. Although with Colorado growing up with my parents and going places, mm-hmm. um, it was always like apart from one, uh, no one knowing that we were our parents, mm-hmm. kids, 
mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. I think one time my mom got from a woman, she was like, oh, are these your grandchildren? And mm-hmm. my mom was like in her later 40s and she's like, wow. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it was more so like in relation to them in terms mm-hmm. of like, and it generally was like older folks that would be like, oh my gosh, you're, you're so lucky. Yeah. You should be so grateful. Like the very grateful adoptee narrative like yep. well and one person was like welcome to america oh like, my god <laughs> <laughs> thank you like i've been here all right <laughs> wow. so i wouldn't say like there's like a heavy thing but like the south to say has very deep deep trauma and and roots in terms of within race racism especially african-americans and black people and such um so i think there's definitely a whole different aspect there yeah. versus north or like yeah uh, west where i came from that's a good point um so it's it's got its own particular trauma and history um, yeah that's really deeply rooted but yeah um in terms of the asian community i i haven't been super involved i, I don't think i've really experienced a deep um involvement particularly in like specifically like a chinese community most yeah. of the people i know are Korean, Vietnamese, and they also were born into their their families. They have Asian mm, families. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. That's a good segue to this question that came up in a different interview I was doing. And I thought it was such a great question that I wanted to continue asking. I feel like a lot of these like microaggressions and you know, like the guy with the with the tattoo, those kinds of things, you know, not could be fixed but probably would look different if, you know, for the past 10, 15, 20 years, there had been better effort at, you know, sort of adoption normalization. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just such, it's still such a novel idea that, oh, a person of this race, like if you have two people from different races, they can't possibly be a family, you know, they must be something else. And, you know, that kind of trickles down to, oh, a person from a different race can't possibly have lived here longer than than this white dude or, you know, something like that. And I think normalization, we still have a long way to go, but I think normalization and through education, through lots of different things is is kind of the way to fight against that. And I was talking about this um, on an episode with someone else uh, for an interview. And they asked me, well, how, what do you think about, you know, the definition of normalization in the dictionary is just like everything else blends in, uh, you know, is conforming to whatever the standard is. And so maybe it's more of a celebration than it is a normalization because, you know, we don't want to be just saying, oh, we're like everybody else because we're not, you know, we have unique journeys and, you know, unique stories of how we got where we are. And so I'm just curious, I don't even think I have my thoughts fully developed on this, but what do you think of, of adoption normalization versus celebration? You know, how, how do you react to that, you know, juxtaposition? Yeah. No, that's that's very interesting, uh, very interesting question. And uh, you just answered 
the question I was going to ask you was what mm. normalization meant and mm-hmm. what you meant by that in terms of do you first if you were to imagine like a wider acceptance or like mm-hmm. awareness, so to speak, of adoption, what what does that look like for you? Mm-hmm. Would you say would would you say that it'd be less of a jarring um, effect when you see two people of different? Yeah, I think in my head, my definition of normalization is you know if I'm a white person and I'm watching this family across the street and there's a black person and an Asian person and an Indian person normalization to me is, is that, that person thinking, looking at that family and thinking there's an equal chance that they are just a group of friends hanging out versus they are a family. Um, and the fact that they are multiple races doesn't mean that whether they're friends or whether their family has a higher chance than the other. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's my what I think of when I think of normalization. But I what but a different piece in the celebration, I think, is more internal, like the normalization is for society and the people on the outside of the adoptee community. But then the celebration to me seems like it's more directed inward, you know, like an adoptee wants to celebrate that identity or, you know, Mm -hmm. wants to, doesn't want to just make it normal, you know, like as in fitting in with everything else. They want to like celebrate it for its uniqueness and its specialness. I think that's what comes to my mind. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that is a tough question. Um, I think I agree with you in terms of normalization. That's like a, a tricky word to use because normal, it's similar how people handle the pandemic. Like, mm-hmm. when are we going back to normal? It's right, like, right. Like, do we want to go back to normal? Like, right. To like, normal, I think, can be very centra- centered around the people who benefit. Yeah. from normal mm-hmm. more so than others um and so they're that makes it a lot more enjoyable yeah great point for them right and so i think certainly i agree with your point because even as an adoptee like the first thing in my head doesn't jump to oh adoption or, or like whatever and right. stuff and i'm an adopted person and i catch <laughs> myself doing that or talk about family and not like when I'm having conversations, I, I don't have a good example off the top of my head right now, but like similar situation when I'm having a conversation with somebody and I'm talking about family and then I neglect the fact that more than one way to make a family, mm-hmm. so to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it definitely, I think more of an awareness and, and I think cele- celebrating it not only can be internal, but it should be celebrated like externally, um, mm-hmm. which also is a tough thing too. Cause it's the same thing where people are like, uh, like my example pre- previously where people were like, Oh my gosh, you're so lucky. Mm-hmm. Like that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. All positive comments, kind of sh- shitty comments, but right. at the same span, you, you're neglecting the trauma and the experience, or right. the sadness and the loss and, and whatnot that's wrapped up in it. And it's not to say that one can't celebrate that, like the, it's a, there's a beautiful duality with that, right? Yeah. So you've got the joy of like, you know, I wouldn't be here in this present moment talking to you if I hadn't gone through all this, mm-hmm. but at the same span, there was a lot of 
stuff that had to happen that yeah. wasn't so pleasant and et cetera. And mm-hmm. um, so I think being aware of that, um, I more recently have kind of, and I'm trying to like learn more about the different stances on adoption. So mm-hmm. I've uh, come across different people who have the standpoint of like, like not normalizing adoption to where we're encouraging it, like not saying to ban it, but just like providing resources to countries and to people, whether it be domestic or international. So that within it, families don't have to be put in that position mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. they so choose did not want to. And I think that's a very interesting idea because while, you know, I'm glad I'm here. And I, I think also part of the guilt thing that wraps up with, you know, feeling guilt, like guilty as an adoptee right. growing up is also like, wow, like I think, oh my gosh, I'd be so screwed with the identities that I hold now in China. And again, yeah. blanket term, like an assumption of how they would react or whatever, but it's kind of conflicting to be like, oh yeah, like I want to encourage like, it, cause it's true. Like families should be able to have the resources to keep the kids if they want, if right. they want them. Right. But it's conflicting. Cause it's like, well, I'm really glad that I ended up where I am. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So it's like normalizing it or just like being aware, like making people aware that that is something that people go through and mm-hmm. experience, but not neglecting the, the real issues of why it exists and like right. kind of the things wrapped up and especially racially where I think there are, you, you had probably, I believe in a, a few people you've talked to. Uh, I remember listening where you talked about privilege and how yeah. predominantly the people who are able to adopt are white middle-class definitely or wealthy people. And mm-hmm, so there's mm-hmm. a whole other layer of that when you think of like, and by all means, like, you know, not that that this is the intention or anything, but white savior saviorism certainly comes to mind. Oh, it's a total complex. Definitely. Yeah, with it all, like you know, coming in and saving these poor people of color, babies, right, uh, um, from the sh- the shitty life that they could have been living. It's like mm-hmm. mm, you're you're stripping people of their identities, and then yeah. they grew up like feeling in this middle ground yeah. and then never feel fully one like connected to a certain thing yeah yeah and yeah. feeling like they have to be lucky all the time for something that they really yeah, don't have to feel lucky about yeah <laughs> yeah expectations always having to like perform be on top of it not that like for me like my parents never like threatened <laughs> me going back to the orphanage or like didn't expect me to be like a whiz at whatnot they just wanted me to be like a decent human being yeah it's like so it's not to say like even if you grew up in a household where like you those things aren't reinforced and you're like you're not meant to feel guilty it's Mm -hmm. just something that just naturally just happens I guess Mm -hmm. in a way I don't know if naturally but just socially internally and whatnot how I at least for me growing up it was just like that always and constantly is there trying to perform and I find that it bled into different aspects of my life while yeah. not may not be like oh I'm adopted so I need to do this it's just more like this need yeah to feel like I have to be on top of my and my my stuff all the time yeah. and just being minority and like I'm sure not only the intersectionality of your identities too same thing you feel like you have to do 12 
thousand percent more just to get to the base level of let's say like a white male yeah to be seen remotely close to like you're putting in the same amount of effort mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely yeah I think for me that that showed itself most in 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 how how ardently I tried to like be white um yeah for me, that was like the, the, you know, epitome of success. And, and that was like what I wanted so badly for so long. So yeah, I totally, totally can relate to that. This conversation has been so good. And I just, I'm coming to my last question, which is another one that I like to ask if you could give one piece of advice or share one piece of advice for either, you know, younger Maddie, you know, Maddie as a kid or, or any kid, you know, really, um, what advice would you give them, you know, related to, uh, acceptance and self-love and identity? I think just being, being easy on yourself Mm. and not, and taking things step by step being like, giving like how people say, giving yourself grace. Um, Mm -hmm understanding that your value is is just as important as anybody else's that what you're feeling is valid and, and it's okay if it's conflicting and it's okay if it mm. changes and mm-hmm. how things shift um, just leaving your space to know that it doesn't have to be so rigid in terms of mm-hmm. how you feel about something and there's no rush yeah, and I, I don't know if like you experienced that with I, I remember hearing a lot in your previous conversations about feeling like wanting to be white, feeling mm-hmm. like you needed to exceed that. And how has that shifted as an adult for you in terms of like, do you feel that way more like less now? And or is it just kind of like now it's been so conditioned, you can't help but catch yourself in those moments or. Yeah. Uh, well, first I think that's really good advice. I think, you know, in a simplified version, re- reminding yourself that things don't have to be so rigid, I think is really, really helpful because, you know, from the minute you're in school, uh, you know, the United States just has a way of making you choose things, putting you in boxes, like literally checking boxes to like, yeah. you know, to, like encompass your whole identity in like two boxes and stuff. So I think that that is very, very key, um, especially for, for kids and younger people um, to hear because America kind of pushes that on you and it's good to know you can, you can push back and things don't have to be so rigid. So I think that's great. Um, For me personally, I feel like that urgency, that feeling of urgency in improving my whiteness or in having in feeling comforted by knowing that those who are interacting with me see me as white which is what I wanted for a long time which I mean is impossible because you can't control how other people see you but the urgency of all of that is is gone I don't feel a need to to convince somebody that like oh no 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 trust me like I'm way white on the inside 
yeah. you know, beyond the face and everything. I don't feel the need to prove that anymore um, to people. But I don't, I wouldn't say yet though, that I have like embraced um, my Asian-ness. It's, it's funny to me that I say that. This happened in another conversation too with where I have like Asian like art on the wall (laughs) behind me. Um, But I, you know, even that, like even having Asian, you know, aesthetically Asian art on the walls is a huge step for me, I feel like, because I used to run away from things that would make me too Asian or too close to the stereotype or just get in the way of me and being white. So that you know that the art is a is a big deal for me and I think that not feeling such desperation to convey my whiteness has been very freeing and and feels really good. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Okay. Maddie, thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting with me. This has been such a great conversation. I feel like I learned so much. I hope you guys, the audience, learned a lot as well. Yeah, and Maddie, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I think it's super important. And um, yeah, the adoption community is a lot bigger than um, I thought it ever was. So it's it's been really great to hear different people's stories and kind of be able to have those moments of like, yeah, I've been through that. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Awesome. So grateful for having Maddie on the show and see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted. Now what? Hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there.